My name is Rob Ockenkloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. In this episode, I am joined by my friend, Wenceslas Mwenyi, or as we call him, Wen, or Wenny the Pooh. And I've known Wen for a few years now, and him and I originally bonded over a shared love of entrepreneurship and travel and exploration. And uh, since then, he's become honestly one of my best friends. You can find Wen online at Wen Wenyi, and I'll link everything below in regards to this conversation. But please, without further ado, enjoy this conversation between myself and Wen. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. When thank you for coming on my show. Thanks for having me. Well, you know I love you, so. Sometimes. Sometimes, yes. All right. Um, for people that don't know, Wen and I are very close friends, and we met through Simakai a few years ago as um, facilitators for the Pro Council Group. Shout out to Ryan Wakefield for not putting me back out in the hallway when I showed up randomly that one day. Um, so what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Oh, God. Uh, first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning? Uh, probably emails. I mean, I just always usually, which I should stop doing that because it's not great for my mental health. But like the first thing I almost always grab is like my phone and to see if I have any things I need to get to right away. And since I, a lot of the people I work with are in other countries in the world, they're probably either going to bed by the time I get up from bed. So I want to make sure I get the conversation out of the way before um, they go to bed. But also, I mean, Corona is a little times is different. Usually if I wake up, I usually like check my email and then go to the gym. But now that the gym is not, I mean, I can't go to the gym. So I just can't check my email and I just kind of get to work. So how long does it usually take on average? To get through my emails? Yeah. It never ends. I, I, I honestly have thought about hiring an assistant just for my emails because it just, it always, it, I always get to like maybe down to 50 and I get another like 50 the next day. And it's like, oh, dude, I slept for nine hours and I get more. I get, it just never ends. Dude, you need to work on that. Like, I don't know what we need to do for you. Maybe, you know, a new email address and just forward everything to that and then just stop people from, I mean, how many of those emails require responses? All of them? Yeah, a lot of most of them do, and it's because it's like three different companies. All the emails go to me because uh, I, I do most of their, their work for all my companies. So it's like, I end like with three companies and three different products, and whatnot. It's they're all kind of important. So it's like pretty low for the monthly, but I'm the products I sell and move around. But it's pretty high for one person to do it by themselves. Sure. I mean, honestly, you should just use a Tim Ferriss tactic and hire a uh, you know offshore assistant. Uh, you know, online to I just help you. I have one of those um, for my actual research processes, but um, like for them to like do Google searches for me, because I don't want to spend my time doing all that. But uh, my emails are also unique and specific. That some of the questions, most of them, they probably will not answer is until they do it for a very long time, then they might get a hang of it. So I guess it's like I need to just get someone and like just have them CC all my emails from now on. And then as I learn what my responses are, they might be able to handle the, the emails from there on. Yeah, that sounds like exactly what you need to do. So for people that don't know, do you want to walk through the three companies and products that you have? Yeah, so I have 
Um, the first one is called um, Redeemer Services. It's a family business that my brothers and I own together. And we, we work with the state of Minnesota and the, the um, federal government to help, you know, find homes so people that are homeless as well as help people that are disabled, you know, find homes and um, make sure that they're getting the services that they need to have like a, a pretty decent life, a pretty nice life, actually, um, as best as we can give anyway. Um, the second company is uh, Hercleone, and it is a co company that we do a lot of research for materials for how to make clothing that you can wear for an extended period of time. So, like, designing clothes for, like, hiking or camping or just for minimalist living. So, like, my closet, I'm moving to a new home pretty soon, and my closet is going to have, like, a total of, like, eight shirts at most. and all going to be shirts because I can wear the same shirt and not to wash them for, like, weeks or months at a time. So, um the longest I've had so far with a shirt um, was, I think, over 30 days without washing it. And the only reason I had to wash it is because I, I got it really dirty because I went outside and I was doing some woodshop stuff with it. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty solid. It's, it's great clothing. And the third company is um, Rayabelle. And the company's purpose is to create clothing that reduces the, um, the user's um, carbon footprint. And not sorry, clothing, bed sheets, my fault. Um, and in creating the bed sheets and other home goods, we've created um, Jack Sheets, which is the bed sheets for men. And um, we're also working on other um, really unique bed sheets. And we also have like um, towels coming in. We also have other home good textile products. So we're so Rayabelle is a textile company, Herclone is a clothing company, and Redeemer is like a social services company. And for for people that are skeptical, I have worn these shirts and they are pretty great. Um, been on many many product shoots. By many, I mean one, one good one <laughs> on the desert. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. I, I, one. I miss I miss exploring with you. I know we were trying to get one down, but you know, uh, Corona has uh, kind of destroyed all chances of us hanging out recently. Um, and and so Wen and I always bounce ideas off each other when it comes to products and services and different ideas and i think that you or i are usually the first pass or one of the first passes for each other if if we're just like is this is this stupid or is this crazy good you know yeah i would say most often i have some idea um sarah probably hears about it uh, my girlfriend hears about it like right away because she always sees, i mean we're almost always by each other because of corona like i mean at, at no point in the last three months have i not been a, a few seconds away from her or like anxious from her um and then following up sarah is probably you just so you can let me know if you think it's stupid or if it's worthwhile or if it's like a, yeah if it's like a worthwhile idea and i think it's evolved that way because you and i both think very differently to approach problems right um but we still have complementary views on how we want to help society and the world and you know basically create services products and technologies that overall can make people's lives better right yeah, and I think you have a very, um, a very open mind about a lot of things, and you also have a lot of experiences in entrepreneurship mindset. So I think bringing ideas to you is a good place to go because you are, you can understand it most often. And 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 for me, I'm not as technical as you are, but I can understand most marketing um, angles, most things. So. Yes. And so that's the one thing that you dwarf me in. Um, and you were the same way in terms of entrepreneurship. But that's why I talked to you. But um, you want so you launched both um, the, the the Herculean self-cleaning uh, T-shirt, right? And Jack Sheets, both on Kickstarter. Do you want yes. to talk about how successful those were? Yeah. So 
Um, it's funny enough, I actually did a Kickstarter before I did the shirt, the Hercleon shirt. I did the backpack, and I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I used, you know, the worst quality um, pictures, and um, I used a lot of just words and whatnot, and those don't do very well on Kickstarter. So it's like Kickstarter does is not as easy as people think it should be. It's a lot harder. It requires actual resources, like financial resources, to do it. And so that one almost actually failed. But then I did the shirts and I improved the quality of the photos and I improved and I actually had like a professional video and everything. And that raised um, $43,000. And then after the shirt, I did the um, bed sheets and that raised, um, to date it's raised 400, and I think like $415,000 um, between Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And just yesterday, or just last week, or two weeks ago, I, I finished um, um, another race for Hercleon, which is for the underwear, and that raised one hundred and fifty thousand dollars so far. Actually, one hundred and fifty-six thousand dollars so far. So, uh, I've been enjoying, you know, the crowdfunding space. I just kind of do feel bad that a lot of people can, even with crowdfunding, you need to have money to get into the game, and a lot of people don't have the initial, you know, five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars to even get their ideas out there, which kind of sucks. Totally. And, that, and that's the problem, right? It's like the platforms are designed to allow people to gain, so, you know, people without access to massive reserves of capital to be able to actually create and produce something. But in order to actually get to a point where you have a product to show that actually has viability and is worthwhile, people have to actually spend money. And that's and that's a, yeah. usually a really big hurdle. It's a massive hurdle. And I think a lot of people do not understand, though, that even when you're going to get help for the money, you still have to have the money to get the help in the first place. And so that, that exactly. really is a limiting factor for a lot of people. So I, I think the next question I'm going to ask you, it'll tie into a larger story, but, um, you know, I, I want you to tell the story of not only you growing up, um, but also immigrating to the United States. But it's kind of based on the question, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? What do I, what did I, um, I don't think you think about that in Cameroon. I mean, I grew up in Cameroon and I was a part of family of, um, there was, uh, there was, I have three siblings, one sister, two brothers, and my dad had two wives and I grew up in a small town in Cameroon. And so I don't know if I particularly thought about what I wanted to be when I grew up because of the simple fact that that's not something you think about in Cameroon. I, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I mean, also I was pretty young too. So that could be it too. And I came to America, but yeah, I've never thought about that question before. So I guess the question would be then, how did you end up where you are now? Like what, what, what path did you take and what led you to doing what you're doing now? Um, the, the, the shorter version answer is that I, I, when I came to America, I fell in love with cell phones and I thought they were really cool. I love technology and I tried to do technology, but I just, I, I just didn't understand it very well. I, I mean, I'm not that, I'm not super technical. I'm very, I can be, but it takes a lot of, like, I feel like people are already way ahead of me in the technical space. I couldn't really do that that well. And so when I went to high school in America, um, I started to feel that my options were very limited as a, based on my skin color, which is a lot of people that are not, you know, minority would not get the feeling, but it's a weird feeling that you have coming in school in America, especially if you're going to like a low income school in like the inner cities you kind of have this like overwhelming sense that you have, you know, two or three options in life. If you're being, if you're being completely honest with yourself and as much as everyone wants to say, well, that's not the case, the case in the situation you could do anything you want. But like, if you're being honest with yourself, you kind of feel that way that you're going to be a, a rapper or a sports player or some kind of entertainer of some sorts. And so I started having that 
kind of mindset pretty early on in high school. But lucky enough for me, my mom had shown me that there is other options, you know, because I watched her basically struggle so hard to get promotion at her company, University of Minnesota. She was the one of the oldest employees at the company, and she she had been there one of the longest. She had a master's, an undergraduate, and where anyone else else only had an undergraduate. And she would people would come into the company or her to her department, and then she would train them. And then the people that she trained would end up getting the, the, the position above her. And she didn't understand racism at the time. I was systematic racism. Well, she thought it was only limited to social racism. So in that understanding, she went to HR to say, hey, why am I not getting the position that I'm doing wrong? You know, and they told her, hey, well, basically, you they did some research and investigation in the, in the case and looked at all the, the variables and said, well, you're experiencing, um, basically, you're experiencing systematic racism. And you have an option to sue the U of M if you want to. Um, and you'll probably win. But my mom, you know, had four kids to think about. She didn't have the money or the emotional resources to even go after the University of Minnesota for what, you know, they were doing to her. So she left and started her own company. And in her doing that, I was able to see that if, to me, my new mindset was that, okay, I don't have to be a rapper or sports player or whatever it was. I could do, I could do other things, but I would have to do it on my own. I couldn't really have a job and expect that I'll get anywhere with a job. And that's kind of how I got where I am in the mindset of I need to be an entrepreneur to get anywhere in America as a minority, a black minority anyway. And now that you've, you know, you, you and I were talking about this yesterday, but you, you've kind of realized in the recent movement that you really not only want to help out and help this community and grow this community of minority entrepreneurs, um, but you are you are one of the few out there that are publicly actually doing things and you've found that most people are been hitting you up the past few weeks because there's really not many other people to turn to right now yeah i'm disappointed that very often i get the emails on offers for people to feature my products or whatever or my or me on their newsletter or whatever it is because it's like i might only you know black creator that that they know of you know like i'm happy to help but i would love if someone else had the opportunity that needed more than i do because i think i'm pretty fine so, but, so in that constant, you know, asking me for, if I want to be the person, I figured maybe I need to be the person that actually helps move in more, you know, black creators, because I mean, I learned the history of, 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 of African-American success in America. And the only time they were the most successful was when they were the most entrepreneurial in their endeavors. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's like, I need to, I, I feel like I have to, you know, make moves towards helping bring the entrepreneurial spirit not bring it back but like you know to flame it if possible if i can i would love to flame the entrepreneurial spirit in my fellow black americans yes and and you and i talked about an article that you sent me from the boston globe about how um in boston particularly immigrants from africa usually have more wealth on average than black african americans that are that you know were born in america and, you know, that's that's part of the bigger problem. Right. And so you and I have talked at length about what you plan on doing. Do you want to talk about what you plan on starting very soon? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people don't understand when comparing or wrongly compare um, African on the economical scale. They're like, well, you know, African-Americans. 
because all these immigrants from Africa are doing so well, why are not doing well? And I think that's a stupid comparison because not only is that psychology different, but the reason is a lot different. We are here because we are they're probably the best, you know, the top, you know, in our field in, in Africa. Or we're the most. So how can you compare someone who has been here you know, day, decades, centuries, whatever it is, to someone that has, you know, that has come here just recently with a culture experience? I don't think it's a fair comparison ever, but moving on, I am my my plan as of now is to create a nonprofit um, incubator to kind of help um, you know help the African Americans or you know all the minorities to uh, get a chance to to get the ideas out there and in in the most efficient and the most um, assisted way possible. I want to help them with their their idea and to get it to be more accurate to the the, the market's demands. I want to help them with the financial resources that they need to get the product launched, and um, and also return their money back after the, their products are successful. Because I don't want their company. I don't want you know I don't want to have a share in what they're doing. I want them to have their company because it's their company, and I want to just help them do that. You end up you know give your companies to the people that the people that are you know not give you the job you want life on the first place. I don't want that to happen. I want you to have your company, and I want to help you achieve. Maximum success. Good. And do you have a couple people lined up ready to go for this? Or are you you're gonna try to, you know, build a pipeline from scratch? Well, so now I'm thinking that I'm going to <clears throat> have to first in Minnesota or um yeah, probably in Minnesota because I live here. And um, then I'm gonna create a, a, a pretty much a, a website to go to sign up and for the waiting list and you know start seeing reach out to the companies that keep reaching out to me to have them you're being serious about this why don't you partner up with us and give us a way to you know to reach out to the communities that do want you you say you care about having more you know black entrepreneurs black creators i'm here to help that happen too Let's partner up and let's let's use our resources to make it happen and you know move on move up move forward that way. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that you know if, if anyone can do this, it's you. Um, do you plan on marketing this or just basically using like the grassroots network you've already built so far and the people that have reached out to you uh, to kind of spread word, or do you want to grow this into something? You know, basically get some partners in the industry and and help actually build it larger. Um, I'm probably going to do my best to grow it. So what I'm going to do is, um, <clears throat> I'm writing a book right now, um, business while black. And that book is going to be a guide to how to do business as a, as a black, black individual and also the history of black entrepreneurship and all that kind of stuff. And that is going to be one of the, the tools I'm going to use to help people with, even if they don't come to the actual company itself, they can still get the resources that they need to, to succeed without me being, you know, directly involved. And then I'm going to, you know, have the website and the, the company where you can come to and, and submit your, your idea and concept and have us help you do it. Um, because I, I, yeah, I mean, I think I need, I'm going to do a lot of marketing and I want to get it out there. And I think I'll have to do a lot of marketing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything else you want to add on that incubator? What are you going to call the incubator, by the way? Do you know yet? Yeah, yeah. So I had a name whilst in Colombia a few months ago. I had a name for a different for a different product, but I think it's more fitting to this one. It's called Avec Amor. Um, it's a sp French and Spanish word put together. Avec is with, and Amor is love. So 
um, it's a very weird name for incubator. It's a very weird name for a, a business uh, in general. But I think, you know, ultimately, I'm doing this with love and, and, and respect and, and, and appreciation for the struggle that everyone goes through. So why don't I use a name that's the most fitting that I can think of, you know, with love, Aveca Moore. Exactly. I love that. And um, you and I have talked at length, uh, not to kind of switch gears, but you can go back to that anytime if you'd like. Um, and I, I, know, I know it's like, I, I think you and I also might have conversation fatigue on that subject. So you and I have talked at length for hours the past weeks about it. Um, and I know it, it, when it comes to this, which is public facing, it's it's definitely harder to make sure we articulate how important this is and also how needed this is in the current climate, right? You know, it's yeah, something that doesn't yeah. exist and needs to exist. And, you know, and, and, and my, my point about the Boston Globe article wasn't that, you know, we should be comparing the two. It's just that I think you bring up the exact point, which is that most people don't realize is that if you're coming from Africa to America to work, you are already in like the top one or 2% of each field. You know, it's like, you're not just anyone coming to do anything, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because the chances of you having the opportunity to actually be able to go out and make it to America, just from the cost perspective, and like the recent changes in immigration perspective, it's very hard. Um, it's very, very hard. and. Everyone, I mean, the guy you always tell me, I forget his name, is the, the, the Pakistani investor, I think. Naval Ravikant? Yeah, I, I, like I said, I always love his stuff. I think, you know, where he, he, he drops the ball a lot is that he's comparing, he's saying, you know, hard work can get you far. This is very true. And I actually had this statement this morning. And I said, in America, hard work gets you very, very far. But how far it gets you, has a, your, your ethnicity has an impact on how far that hard work will get you. And so, you know, my friend asked me the other day, he called me, I get on this hour-long conversation about this ethnic race, ethnic problems. And he was like, well, if America's so racist, you know, how can Obama be president? And I'm like, well, let's think about it. Obama was 10 times better than his comparison. Um, in, 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 in the black community, there's a statement, the black people are the harder you work. Obama was half black, so he had to work only half as much as a full black person would have to work to be president of the United States. So, <laughs> so that's my thing, you know, it's like, Yes, America is not completely stupid. America has it there. It's just that you do have to work a lot harder to get to the same place as someone else that, you know, has a lighter complexion will get you. And so that's always my thing. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, I think this, this project I'm working on is critical. I think the most, the, the best path forward to make, to reduce the amount of turmoil that we go to in a societal level, to reduce the amount of crime and reduce the amount of like, you know, issues with the law is to create a, a, a more a new renaissance for a, a black entrepreneurship and there are other companies that are doing this i just think that i have a unique perspective on the situation and i have a unique experience that allows me to be very good at helping people make this happen and in the fact that i grew up always creating ideas i grew up always trying to find ways to help people i always grew up always trying to you know do social services and whatnot and this is kind of who i am as a person I love helping people and I love creating products at the same time. I love people. With all these three characteristics of who I am, I think I'm in the best place to make this, you know, happen on a, on a larger scale than the other companies are doing it right now. You are. And, and I've told you before, it's like, I fully back you and will help you in any way I can. And also, you know, like my network is at your disposal as well. Um, because I think that this is not only needed, but, but necessary, you know. Um, because you're right. It's something that Naval talks about a lot on top of what you mentioned is that the problem isn't 
it, I mean, systemic racism is a massive problem, but the problem is also in, in relation to that is equal opportunity that does not exist in this country right now. You know, um, me being a white privileged male that grew up in a wealthy family in Massachusetts, like I am, you know, already at the starting line ahead of the race above people in America that, you know, aren't a minority and aren't an immigrant and don't have money. Right. So, you know, I, I think I thank my parents growing up for always reminding my sister and I that, you know, we have it pretty, pretty good and we still need to do everything we can to give back because, you know, there are many, many, many people that do not have it as well as we did. Right. And, yeah. you know, and, and I think you and I have talked about this at, at, at nauseum, but, you know, I think, you know, even within the place that you and I met, which is a Sigma Chi fraternity, that, you know, there is still levels of systemic racism in there today. And that's something that, you know, yeah. you and I are both trying very hard to just wipe out. It's not mitigation at this point. It just needs to be wiped out. It needs to be set on fire and just removed, you know. Um, and it's it's a real problem. But, you know, I think they are making the appropriate strides now. It's definitely building up. We'll see what they actually come out with when the committee's done, you know, with their proposal. Um, I, I, I think that we might get to a point where it's death by committee. But, you know, we'll see. Um, but you get it. I'm, I'm bummed that, you know, I don't get to see you this year with everyone else at, at Croc. But I'm sure that, you know, you and I will see each other soon. Um, speaking of travel, you were in Colombia in April, right? Or March? Um, early early March, yeah. Early March, and you spent the you and I had different February tactics. You and I hung out the end of January, and then you basically were like, "I need to lose some weight," and I was like, "I do too." And so my approach was just working out a ton, like way too much, honestly, too much. And you fasted most of February. Do you want to talk about what you did and the results from that? Yeah. So I mean, I think. I don't. I have a weird mindset about things. I just like I either do it completely or do none of it. And it's like, like right now during Corona, I'm I'm doing. Everyone's getting 15 pounds. I'm getting 40 pounds because it's like that's how I roll. Um, if I'm gonna have a good time, I'm gonna have a great time. But um, I have no chill. Like in college, my favorite drink was Everclear. Why? Because it was it was fast and it was cheap. Um, but when it comes to fasting, yeah, my mindset was just like, hey, I can if I can lose 10, 20 pounds in five days. Why do I? Why am I do the slow way when I do the fast way? So yeah, I did five day fast, um, two times or six days fast, twice in in February, and after this, I'm moving back to St. Paul on on Sunday to St. Paul, Minnesota, Twin Cities, um, and I'm getting a new apartment or a new house or whatever, and I'm gonna do a two weeks, two weeks, two to four weeks um, water only fast, so I can drop the forty pounds since you know I, I don't like being um, two hundred um, thirty nine pounds. Got to be 200 on the dot. And and for reference, yeah. when as a very fit human being, you could pick me up and throw me against a wall if you wanted I could, to. Yes. Yes. And I, I am 200 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah. So how what it, what have you learned through that process of fasting? Because I also played around the fasting, not to the level that you have. And I think that you know I'm excited to see like what like kind of mindset you enter into like week two. Um, but you were telling me that like, you know, day four or five of those five, six day fasts were just like amazing. Like you had like amazingly clear headspace. You felt empty and strong and you were still working out, right? Yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I, every day of the fast, I work out, um, which is allegedly not safe. But, I mean, I, I'm not known for being safe, so it's fine. Um, you just, okay, so the, the thing is this. So, the first thing about the fast is that on day two to three, is going to be the worst day of your life. Like, you're going to have headaches. You're going to be angry. You're going to be, like, unhappy. And you're going to, like, want to eat so bad. But if you can get past day two, the night of day two, day three, four, five, it's cake. Um, only thing that you that happens is that you start missing the the the, the feeling of food in your mouth because you just like you're so used to eating all the time is like and not eating at all is kind of weird, and so you can easily cave still. But like as long as your body gets stops trying, but your mind will keep you know trying to get you to eat for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I, I still worked out. I just had to work out with less reps because you get tired faster. And um, I had mental clarity, the best mental clarity I've had in a very long time. I had it during fasting. Um, and yeah, I mean, I took less naps. I was less like just fatigued. I just had, you know, like I said, I have less, like I have lower levels of overall energy, but I have a lot more consistent, pure energy. So it was, it was very nice. I mean, getting to work out and I was, you know, I just reduced my weight a lot. I didn't want to lift. Usually if I'm benching, I'm benching 280 pounds, 300 pounds. Well, no, not yet. 280 pounds. But usually when I'm fasting, I bench maybe like 190, 200 flat. That way I'm not putting too much pressure on my body. Um, and yeah, I started out and I, I think the last time I did was 229 after our trip and I got yeah. down to, um, 207 pounds, um, after that, that trip was over or after my six day fast following the trip. Wow. It's pretty impressive. I mean, and you also told it's me fun. that there, was, there were lasting effects after the fast too, because you no longer really for the, it seemed like the first, the month or so afterwards, you really didn't crave any junk food at all. Yeah, eating eggs is really gross. Like it just, it just, it was so hard for me to be in the mood to eat eggs or any of those like high gross level of, of oil. Actually, even eating eggs made me like, like almost gag a little bit because like it messes up your stomach completely. Eating candy is not as appealing. Junk food is just not as appealing. Eating unhealthy food is not that appealing after a long fast. Obviously, yeah. about a month out, if you really put your back into it, you can get back into the old eating habits. But it takes a lot of, you know. It's just, yeah, if you choose to, it's very easy at that point to become healthier. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you say that as last time we FaceTime, you were downing a bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos in your mouth, so. Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> like you, I, I mean, said, dude, I'm 100% on nothing. I, I, that's the thing about me. I, I oscillate yeah. too much. I do, too. And so, like, I try to, you know me, I try to strike a balance between what's the best thing to do, and then I end up creating these ridiculous routines that make no sense, and then I just backtrack yes. all of them. I think I think yeah. the one thing I've learned it's like it's important to still have goals like I'm gonna fast for six days or like I'm gonna do this diet for a month or like you know sh shit like that to stay on track. But I think that tracking it the way I was doing it was the unhealthy thing, right? It was okay. the it was the you know recording everything I ate and everything I was fasting and every minute I slept. It was just not only to take a long time that's very time consuming, but I found out that I was I was eating to fulfill a numbers chart versus eating until I was full. So there's definitely certain times where like I'd make food based on the macro and micronutrients I'd, I'd see in my app and I would like make this big meal and only really want to eat half of it. And I just forced myself to finish the entire thing just so I could get the nutrients. But I realized it was like I would have been much better off just not like eating, just eating half of it, you know? Oh yeah, makes sense. And so I think, I think that it's a mixture of like listening to your body um, I think you and I both recently have switched to like pretty much using no alarm when waking up. Um, yeah, because there's no need to. And I think it's better. It's like I, I naturally sleep about seven and a half, eight hours. Um, 
from from when waking up this morning. Like I went to bed late last night. I woke up for a workout at 6 a.m. and I feel very tired. Even though I got like an hour and a half less sleep than I normally do, it's still it's amazing how much of a difference that makes. Um, and I think it, we, I, you know, you and I are lucky enough that we pretty much run our own schedules, so we're able to. Uh, you know, wake up when we when we need to. But uh, you know, you you also understand like I do that if you if you go to bed at ten, you have a pretty good idea of the time range you're gonna wake up. You know, you 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 do like eight to nine hours, right? Usually, so you just wake up between like six and seven if you went to bed at ten. I almost always wake up at the same time, no matter what time I go to bed. So it's like if I can go to bed at one o'clock in the morning, I wake up at like five o'clock. Interesting. You do that naturally. Yeah, I, my body just knows it's time to get up when I get up. Interesting. I mean, is, does that change in the wintertime when there's less light, or is it still the same? Um, I think it's still the same. It's because I, I woke up at the same time, and even though it was winter up here until like about a month ago, basically, um, yeah. I woke up at the same time no matter what. Um, going to bed just gets later, apparently, because that's when my body doesn't know. It's like when it's 9 o'clock, it's actually like still dark. It's still bright out here. Yeah. Yeah, because you're right now in like northern, northern, northern Minnesota. You're basically near Canada, right? Yeah. You're closer to Canada than you are to Minneapolis. Yeah, I am like an hour away from Canada. Nice. And they won't even let you in. I know, right? That's so, I'm like, dude, I'm up here. Let me just, I'm right. I can honestly, honestly, if I want to go to Canada, I could cross the border pretty easily. It's like, there's not a border. It's not a thing. You just walk, walk across to see some of the land and you're in Canada. Yeah. 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 I won't, I won't, I won't put that part in there. I'm just kidding. I will. I'm totally um, <laughs> I, I would no. want my car with me. I couldn't walk to Canada. That's a lot of effort. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think one thing I've learned, it's like the Canadian American border, like on the big highways, there are big proper borders and like the main roads. But like there are many roads, especially in like North Dakota and Minnesota that just like go right in that, you know, you have to like self-report or you just have a sticker in your car or something like that. But, you know, if you get caught and you don't report or go through any kind of immigration, then you, then you get a fine. Right. Um, that's something neither you and I want. But yeah, seriously. Yeah, you you uh you the one thing that you have will always have on me is that you are much more frugal than me, and you do not waste your money on expensive things like I do. Uh, Except I did learn recently that you know, which are how you, how much you spend for your apartment. I'm like maybe I need to get to the game of actually investing in a quality apartment. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd argue that um, if you're buying the apartment, absolutely. I think paying rent is equivalent to almost lighting money on fire. Um, <laughs> but. You know, and you and I have talked about this. You know, you and I have talked about buying a plot of land uh, between you, me, and a few other people, and then we each build our houses on it. Um, you know, I was talking with Taylor Winters, who um, was on the podcast before you last week, and she and her husband built a house. Uh, they built two houses now in, in and around Seattle, and they actually um, rent. They, they kept their old house, and they rent it out, and she was like, it's amazing how much money people will spend on rent just like light it on fire. And so the thing is, is like they own the house outright and the rent is just like, it's just pure profit. You know, it's like not only they have the asset and the full value of the house, but they also get this monthly, very high figure cash flow just from letting someone stay in their house, you know, that they don't even use. It's pretty brilliant, you know? Um, awesome. What'd you say? That sounds awesome. I wish I had the, um, the, that capital to just have a house like that. For sure. And I think that I think that you and I are on that way where I think I've realized recently that like and you, you and I talk about this where, you know, most of the wealth in America, um, you're either doing it through like getting lucky in ventures or exits. Right. Or like, you know, being the right place, right time or through real estate. 
And it's pretty much those are, those are the two, like that's probably 98%, right? Um, yeah. you, occasionally you can get lucky at the stock market and do well, but you know, you and I both know that your best bet with the stock market is just to buy stocks and hold them as long as you can. Like that's your best bet. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think the one thing I've realized though, is that building houses are a bit more expensive than one thinks, it but seems. also it also depends how you want to build it. Like if you build a super simple, you know, house that's basically drywall and simple foundation, then, you know, it doesn't cost very much to build. You can build it for hundred ish, $120,000, even with nice fixtures in the inside. But if you want to do something like I want to do where you have like massive glass sliding doors and concrete floors and like suspended staircases and like something that's like beautiful that also holds its value and um, that, you know, you're going to spend a million dollars. But the thing is, is that million dollar house build is then worth three million dollars when it's done, you know. That's so, true. so, you know, it's like much, it's one. Of, sorry. How much do you currently spend on rent right now? I spend twenty six hundred dollars on rent a month for Seattle which is an alarming amount. Okay. How much are you going to spend in your new place? Looking at charging me um, um, $1,700 a month for a two-bedroom um, house, basically. And is your roommate going to move with you? No, just me. Nice. I think you need that. I think you need to have your own place to make a pig sty. I love you, but... You and I could never live together for that one reason. You've said it and I've said it. It's like, because I, I am like eternally neat. Like I'm looking at my kitchen counter right now and I see that there's a pan out and a pair, and a pair of scissors and a glass and it's like bothering my OCD. And versus you, it's just like, you'd be like, what's everywhere? Yeah, everywhere. And the thing is that I, I would be uncomfortable if it was clean. I would be uncomfortable if this was too clean because that's not how my mind works. It likes, it lacks chaos because that's where it gets the best ideas from. It's just like a very chaotic place, and and I just don't know, dude. Like I don't feel comfortable in the ultimate. I get ultra, ultra, so I don't want to rent, and I don't want to like um like my girlfriends. I want to just like get an Airbnb, and I'm like I don't want to like be in someone's house that I feel like I have to keep it clean. So I, I don't. I, it makes me feel uncomfortable in that environment. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of some one of my uh, passive I worked for Brian Collins. He you know always shit on the minimal viable product, right? And he always was just like, less is more. He's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Mess is more, is what he used to say. Um, and I think that you are a pure embodiment of that ideal, you know. Um, and you and him both have similarly messy offices. And I think the good example is like you and I were in, we were in California with, you know, um, videographer and your friend. And, um, you know, you, we stayed in that house for what, one night, two nights. And yeah. within within two hours of you getting there, I walk in your room and there's like clothes on every single inch of floor of this like 20 by 10 foot bedroom. <laughs> I was like, how did you do hey, this? <laughs> it's a skill. I, I like to make sure I'm, I feel like I'm there, really there. So I just leave my mess. Got it. Okay. So it's kind of like a, it's like, it's like a dog peeing on a hydrant outside the house type of thing. Basically. Like yeah. So I can feel like at least I, I made it there safely. I'm here kind of make yeah. a little mess and we're good to go. I don't know, man. I think I find, I find power in the order. And for me, it's like the, the, the open spaces, the open air, the empty space is where I find the most creativity. That's like, that's where my mind feels the most free to like think. I don't know. Um, it's probably also the way I grew up. Like my dad it was very neat. My mom is pretty neat, but my dad was incredibly neat. You know, like his, his house was always spotless. It was always completely clean. Everything was put away. He was, 
um, incessant about us always putting away our stuff. Like I could not leave a mess anywhere. I think that definitely conditioned me to a point, right? Um, yeah, I can imagine. And but I think it's like I I don't work well when my desk is cluttered. Like if there's stuff all over my desk, like I want to get everything out of the way and make sure it's all taken care of before I can focus on what's in front of me. And that's why, like you've seen my desk, it's basically just like there's a monitor, there's a phone charger, there's a bunch of pens, and there's like a keyboard, mouse, and trackpad, and then like uh, a coaster for a cup of water, and that's it. And that's because like maybe you know, the thing is that you live alone. Maybe that's what it is. I'm gonna try living alone and see if I'm a little cleaner. Maybe like this is the psychological things. Like whose mess is this? You know, and then just kind of like leave sure, it there. Sure. Whose mess it is? Yeah, when I was with my ex-girlfriend, uh, I was definitely the messier one. Like, I was much messier living with her than I was living with myself, uh, for sure. Yeah, I'll try it out and see how it works out. It could be a chance that I could be not as messy as I seem. I could actually be a super clean guy. Who knew? Who knew? I mean, you never know, right? But it's also like, there are certain times where I just don't care. You know, it's like, I'll still leave clothes in random piles in places, right? I'll still, like, I have a laundry room in my apartment that basically is just like, it's stuff I have to send out. It's clothes I need to donate. It's skis. It's an air conditioner. There's like piles of laundry. You know, it's like it's it's not ever going to be clean. And I think the amount of effort that it would take and and things that have to be put in place in order for it to be clean would not make it worthwhile. You know, it's just like why Imagine, yeah. why 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 am I why am I spending my time um, doing this? Um, how is your breakfast, by the way? Are you are you intermittent fasting right now? Or are you just eat when you're hungry? Like I said, dude, I'm I, I'm 100% nothing right now. I'm just enjoying myself. Um, so not fasting at all. But um, I'll be back in the game on on Sunday, in a hard way. Good. Maybe I'll start on Sunday too. That'll be good. Yeah, maybe we can do a bet. I'm doing a bet to everybody for how much we can lose weight faster. And my my girlfriend, I, I said she couldn't gain five pounds. No, yeah, she couldn't gain four pounds as fast as I, as I could lose um 30 pounds. And my roommate, I said he couldn't lose 15 pounds as fast as I can lose 30 pounds. And the, the bets are $50 each. So if I don't get on the bet, you know. You say 15 or 50? He couldn't lose 15 as fast as yeah. I can lose. Yeah. Oh, no, his was just, I think, 10, 10, 12 pounds. He can lose 12 pounds as fast as I can lose um, 30 pounds. All right. Um, I might get in on this bet. Let's just make it. I don't know. I don't. I need to see what I, I need to see how much I weigh. Uh, is this is this empty morning weight or is this like what 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 one is what are you using as weight? Morning. You're right. I, I think yeah, it would have to be empty morning weight and then empty morning weight for the panel weigh in. Cool. All right. So we'll compare this like on day one versus on day what? Um, whatever day it is, I'm just whoever gets yeah. to where we're getting to first wins. So knowing you and your fasting ability, um, if you, I think if you stick if you stick to a a true like 14 day fast or 15, 16 or even longer day fast, like you'd probably lose that weight by like day 16 or 17, you know? Yeah. So because um, I've done um, <laughs> 17, 14 yeah. in five days. So yeah, it's wild. Yeah. yeah holy shit. That's it's, wild. It's a good time. It's a good yeah, time. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm working out too. So yeah, for sure. And I think, I think that's it, right? It's like, but you're not working out that hard. You're, you're doing strength training. You're not doing cardio, right? I'm doing some cardio, but not as much as I usually don't do. Yeah, I do like I, I do some basketball for like 30 minutes, almost an hour before I work out. Then right. I work out for like an hour and like 10, 15 minutes, and then I do some yoga afterwards. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll, I'll usually mix up yoga and like a long walk, um, like a couple long walks, you know. So I'll walk like two to three hours during the day, 
um, carry some water with me. Um, the trick you've actually taught me the trick is like salt. Like that's the trick. Oh yeah, you need you need um it's uh, a special salt. I can't remember what it's called. It's like a special fasting salt you need to be eating, drinking yeah. with your water, otherwise you get bad headaches. Yeah, I, I, I use maybe- the um it's all about electrolytes actually. Um from yes. that book you sent me. And I actually had the stuff called Light Show. It's like L Y T S H O Y. Yeah, and it's like I, I use the the liquid. So I just like I just like squirt a bunch into like a, a bottle of water. I mean, I prefer to just take a shot straight of just like the pure salty stuff. Um it's super salty. It's like ridiculous. It's absurdly salty. Um, yeah. It's like concentrated pickle juice with added salt. Um, but it's good because it, it's it's not. I think people confuse the fact that when you say salt, people think of sodium chloride. But this is sodium chloride, calcium chloride, potassium chloride. I think there's a couple more in there. But it's like all the electrolytes you need to basically, um, you know, make sure that you jump. Yeah, make sure that you function. I think it's also important for me. It's like I've you know with my past heart problems. Um, you get a lot of palpitations while fasting if you don't consume a lot of electrolytes. Um, yeah, you do. And so and I think safe, really. No, it's not, but that's why you need electrolytes. It, it basically comes down to like water, electrolytes, and also exercise. Like if, you, if you're just going to sit still, it's not it's not beneficial. Um, the most weight I've ever lost in a short amount of time, I lost about 45 pounds in 25, 26 days um, when I was. 16 um and i was chubby i was like you know i would say i was 5'8 230 uh probably about um 30 to 31 percent body fat so chubby right and i did something called knolls where i went on a hiking trip for 27 days and basically over that time we hiked like 125, 150 miles and I was carrying about a, a 70 to a hundred pound backpack most of the time. So it's like very slow. Um, str- like, so like you have strength from like your body carrying the backpack plus like cardio going up and down these mountains. So basically like nothing's flat. It's like all either going up a mountain or down a mountain. Right. And so, you know, it's like you burn, you know, calories so quickly like my my daily burn was probably between like i don't know anywhere between four and eight thousand calories a day which is just crazy oh that's a lot uh, well think about it like if, if you hiked if you hiked at like a slow pace um you know four to six miles maybe four to eight miles a day with a hundred pound backpack on um at elevation up and down mountains like you would also lose weight you know um and so it was also the food we're eating. Like we were eating all dried foods in the backcountry. So like we'd have re-rations every nine days. And on those days, it was great because you get a fresh piece of fruit and some candy bars. Um, but basically our diets were like peanut butter, cheese, butter, pasta, rice, grains, and then lots of nuts, lots of dried fruit, um, lots of like flour and sugar and like baking stuff. But like I just ate when I was hungry because like you're, you know, but I think the thing is, is I realized is that most of my meals, I didn't actually realize at the time, but it's like I didn't eat that big of a lunch because I didn't like I didn't like eating while uh, while like hiking all day. I just like like snacking basically. And then so basically I would eat a big breakfast and then snack all day and then eat dinner. And so I've I've been trying to think like what did I do during that period that allowed me to lose weight so quickly? And I, I think the exercise is probably the largest aspect of it, right? Because the diet wasn't great. 
but also it's like it's not like I had access to whatever I wanted. So it's definitely limited on food because we all had rationed food. So I think it was like not only was I eating a lot less than I used to be eating, but I was also like 16 growing in puberty and I was also working yeah. out a lot. So I think the combination of all three was like it made it easier for me to just shed the weight, you know, okay. that makes sense. So I'm like, how can I repeat that? Right. And so I think the thing for me is it's like not only keep up like strong exercises. And I think for me, I need to start working in more on strength, but also is just like limiting intake by just not measuring what I'm eating, but just be like, let's eat less. And I think, I think intermittent fasting helps with that. You know, like if you're only eating lunch and dinner, it's hard to eat a lot of food. It's actually not hard to eat a lot of food, but like if you're, I think if you stick to healthier foods, like it's hard to eat a lot of food and you're eating like animal proteins and leafy greens and nuts and shit like that. You know, it's like, yeah, you my brother was able to gain, gain weight while fasting. How? Because he, 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 like exactly, he said, it's not hard to eat a lot of food. And if you think that, fasting by itself will make you lose weight <laughs> you're surely mistaken because he was like oh i'm fasting i can eat whatever i want and he ate, ate a pizza later you're like what did i just do you're, like, you're a monster dude you're a monster you shouldn't do yeah oh, you're learned. talking about intermittent fasting like uh, oh if i'm fasting an extra four hours because it really is not like the average human being the average human at least fast you know between 10 and 12 hours a day most people stop eating around eight or nine if not earlier and most people eat breakfast at six or seven or eight. So that's like, you know, yeah. around 12 hours anyway. So like that extra four hours, like, isn't going to do much for you. You know, um, it helps when it comes to immune support and it helps to clear out your gut. But it's just like, just because you didn't eat breakfast doesn't mean you can eat Taco Bell for dinner, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. And so I think it's like, I honestly might consider eating breakfast again. Um, I like it different in fasting, but... I don't know, man. It's like, I, I don't get hungry in the mornings anymore because I've been doing it for so long, but I also know that my body's conditioned and like past diets I've done, I used to eat massive breakfast, you know? Um, but I really don't get hungry anymore. It's like, I, I, th well, I think that you can do big breakfast or big dinners. I mean, whichever one you want to do. I mean, I, I'm sorry, big lunch is the way to go, but yeah, small breakfast small or small dinner. I think, I think breakfast is better than dinner anyway. It is. And that's why I think it's like, I like the feeling of being empty until lunch. And I think also it's like, I like the idea of eating a big lunch and then a smaller dinner, right? Um, yeah. And then one day a week, just having an all-out cheat day. I think that's. I think it's. I think that's important, not only from a perspective of like self-control, but also from a perspective of um, how do I say this? Like the what I'm trying to remember the research exactly. So I talked about this last week too. But in the Tim Ferriss is the four-hour body, right? Um, he talks about the fact that basically if you're doing continued met metabolic restriction, right, fasting doesn't count for this, but like continually like limiting the amount of calories you're eating. If you do it over a long period of time, you're actually going to slow down your metabolism. And if you are once a week or once ever so often spiking that levels very high with like a lot of sugar and, and, and carbs and uh, just way more calories than normal, you actually keep your, meta your metabolic rate like artificially high the rest of the week. And so basically it's like, you can actually gain, lose more weight, um, by taking a cheat day. And he also has, he goes on another chapter talking about like the best way to do cheat days. And it's absolutely fascinating what he does. He like his, his first rules at his first meal is always like on the cheat day is always healthy. So like you have to do like something leafy and green, something with lots of nuts, lots of protein, lots of fat, um, and then you wait at least a couple hours. So you have like a breakfast on a cheat day, right? And then you wait and your lunch, he's like, the first thing you do at lunch 
is drink like a cup of grapefruit juice. And you're just like, what, like, okay, Tim, like what the fuck are you going on about? But then you actually read into it and he basically goes on to basically state that like this grapefruit juice automatically activates some type of hormone and protein in your digestion like system. And basically means that like almost every single thing that you put in your body in that meal after that will not be absorbed for nutrients and just go right through you. So you're like, you'll get the pleasure of eating it, but it will not go to fat at any point in time. Um, and so I think it's like understanding the tricks. And I think that there were certain things that I was doing. Um, like, I think one of the most un, uncursed things that I was doing is that I use this like fruity, sugary drink mix a lot when I was on that hiking trip, cause I had it in the ration packs. It was like shitty crystal light essentially. Um, but sometimes I just drink that when I was hungry and that would like satisfy me, even though it's like not, you know, the best thing for you. But I realized that like before that, when I was at home, I would eat like, you know, 800 calorie snacks. And instead on this trip is really like outside living at, you know, not stressed out at all. I think that also helped like not being stressed out at all whatsoever. And then, um, yeah, just meal replacement. I don't know. We, you and I could talk all day about this, but I'm down to start Sunday with you. Are I? I'll I'll commit to doing a three day fast to start, but I don't want to jump in and do anything. Yo, that's the worst day. That three is the worst because you, you end up like knowing that you're so close to the end, and so the suffering of day two doesn't even seem worth it. That's why I put I do three days. I almost always quit because you're like I'm I'm so close to the end. Why am I gonna suffer? Why am I the suffering I'm going through right now? If the shortest you can do is five days, anything below five is like. You just, just I, I wouldn't even bother with anything below five. It's just, unless it's like, right. it's, it's either do a two day one or a five day one, but don't do a three day one because three is like the, it's just suffering for reason. Yeah. The hard thing you and I have talked about is just like, I have a lot of travel coming up and a lot of like, my mom's coming to visit me next Wednesday. She's staying for the weekend. My sister's coming on Friday. So it's like, you know, we always eat well. Two days, then. That happens. Right? Yeah. Warm up for two days and then. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is like, I'm also doing things all weekend, you know, Friday and Saturday for, you know, festivities and people and seeing friends and I mean, less Fourth of July this year than, than you know, because of stuff going on, but more just like social. Um, but you're but saying yeah. mom comes in, your mom comes in on Wednesday, so you got Sunday to Wednesday to have a good time with your fasting. Yeah, but that's, that's still, that's still, you know, well, she technically comes in <laughs> Wednesday morning. So like I would fast Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, which is three days. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, if you end Sunday night, then that's two days. No, I, I, would, I would end Saturday night. So I do Saturday night oh. to, uh, to, to, and then have a meal Tuesday night. Well, yeah, then I guess if you want to do three days, you're welcome to do three days. But I, I just know that from my experience, it was a lot harder than doing two days or doing, um, or doing, um, uh, five days, but yeah, if you, I mean, you, I guess you could experience the two, the two day suffering and see how bad it is, and they just, just hold steady. You no, but you told me before your favorite fast was the forty eight hour fast. Why is that? My favorite fast is not the forty eight hour fast. My, my favorite yeah. fast is the actually, yeah, you're right. It is, yeah, yeah, and here's why. It's actually not forty eight. It's forty hours because um, it gave me the ability to um, just kept man. It gave me the ability to get my um one meal a day one meal every every two days basically and so i was able yeah. to eat and enjoy myself but also like not eat for days at, on, at a time and be okay with it so i don't know i really liked it after doing like a seven day one i i as soon as i, I finished a seven day fast whatever i used to always to not that makes sense so you're kind of like slowly adding back in food 
Um, did you lose more weight during the longer fast or during like the continued, like, you know, having one meal every other day? Um, I lost more weight during the longer fast, obviously, because it's like a longer, you, obviously your body starts getting to hang up and it, it sure. does drop weight yeah. pretty efficiently. Um, but like, I, like for me, what I, I would do now is like either the one or only fast. From there, I'll just go into the 40 hour, um, 40 hour fast for maybe like a month or until I leave to LA. Yeah. When are you going to LA? I have no idea. All right. Well, I'm I'm down in San Diego the second weekend in August. You come down. Um, I mean, I'll probably be there. Let's be honest. The universe works in great ways. So yeah, you, you and I always magically manage to find ways to see each other. So, um, okay. So, kind of on fasting, I guess. I guess the question is like, if you if you were to give advice to people listening right now to that are interested in fasting but are skeptical about fasting, where do you recommend they start? I would say, um, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess start with the hour fast honestly just start with that one if you want to start or you can just be bold and do that do a five to seven day fast i mean i think just uh, the 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 16 hour fast is it just it's the psychology of 16 hour fast that makes it or 18 hour fast that makes it much harder because you're so close to it that your mind is always like why don't you stop you're so close but if you do the there's other ones that are longer then it's much harder for your mind to make you quit especially when you start again like a like a, a roll you know so you're like man i already did it one day you know, I already, did, I already did two days. Like, well, I'm going to stop now. Let's keep going. Three days. What are four days? Five days. And the second piece is that make sure you're, you stay busy. Like, pack your schedule in, like, work and stuff like that so you don't have to, like, yeah. at home and you're now that you're not and eating. drink lots of water. Lots and lots of Always drink water. Get some light salt and, and, and drink water the whole time. Yeah, and 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 we're not kidding about the light salt thing. Like, it's incredibly important that you use uh, not only get replenished sodium, but also potassium, calcium. I forget the other ones in there, but you, um, you know, we, I'll, I'll add it to the show notes. People can just link it. It's not cheap, but it's also cheaper than buying any meal on a day you eat food. You know, so it's like that's the way I look at it. I think I get enough for the equivalent for me of uh, like 15 days with a fast for like. 30 or 40 bucks somewhere in there. Um, and when you think about it, it's like, wow, 30 bucks is a lot for some salt. But at the same point in time, you're like, that's 15 days with the food. So two bucks a day, not really that bad. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think so. Do you, do you supplement at all when you're just eating normally? You don't take like, do you take any vitamins or athletic greens or anything like that? I do one a day. Just Got to get my, keep my, well, only if I'm doing like a long fast, like a five day fast for one or two days, is you don't have to, your body gets enough nutrients and has enough nutrients stored for that, those short periods of fasting. But yeah, for like five days, seven days, 14 days, you definitely probably need one a day or something like that to keep your, your nutrients up. Yeah. And I, I've heard, um, and not only heard, but like, it's also not a bad idea to pop a vitamin C pill and then a couple of vitamin D pills as well. Cause vitamin D and C are like two of them, especially, especially with what's going on, like, my primary care physician was basically telling me that if I can manage to take 4,000 IUs of vitamin D a day, my, based on research, like my odds of, you know, getting COVID of being, um, you know, exposed to it drops significantly. Um, and mm, also, I heard about that too. 
Yeah, vitamin D. And so I started taking 4,000 IUs a day, which is like, you know, I went to Trader Joe's, I bought the vitamin D pack. It was like $4 for 180 capsules. Each capsule is the size of like a Skittle, a little smaller, like half a Skittle. And that has a thousand IUs in it. So you just pop four of them in your mouth and you're good to go. Um, really easy, actually. Highly recommend it. Um, I'll, I'll get you some. I'll send you some. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, okay. What's next? Let's see. Um, we've talked about everything else. We've talked about that. Um, and, you know, I think I have a little bit of hesitancy with some subjects because you and I talk about everything, right? And it's like there are so some much. things that we need to not put on the podcast. Some things that we do want on the podcast, right? Um, you know, I think the last thing topic I want to bring up with you before we move into like the final uh, round of questions is, you know, you live in Minneapolis or right now in northern Minnesota. Um, and, you know, you were, you know, very much affected by what happened to George Floyd. And, um, you know, I think it's important that, you know, the conversations that you and I had, we potentially move them over to here um, because I, th I think you have some very interesting takes on it and some very sage words of advice that I think a lot of people could could use for their benefit. Yeah, I mean, my my actual my friends knew George Floyd because they they saw him every other weekend because um, they always hosted events at the, the, the place where he was, he was a security guard for. And he was one of the most, um, you know, helpful security guards there because he always wanted to make sure everyone got home safely and were, were good. So it was very tragic to hear. My, my friends were just, I mean, they were they were devastated. They were so upset and so just saddened by the fact that he was uh, murdered for, you know, for no good reason. As many of the, you know, minorities get, that happens through these days. Not these days, but it's happened for a long time. But um, now there's more evidence for it. But, yeah, I, I mean... I, it's disappointing as all. I mean, it's just disappointing, but it's not surprising. And that's the thing. Like, I wasn't shocked by it. And my friends from um, Europe were messaging me, asking me, "How do I feel about it?" And I was like, "What do you mean? What are you, what are you, what are you confused by here?" Like, I've said this many times before. I've said it like so much. Minnesota is not less racist than the South. Minnesota just hides racism a lot better than any other southern state tries to hide racism. And the reason, and a lot of people grow up here thinking that they're not racist, and then that, that, that leads them to be more racist because they think that they're not racist, so they act out in racist ways, and they just think, oh, well, I'm not racist, so I'm, I can't be racist. So, yeah, um, exactly. I think the quote that I, I brought to you, which you and I both, you know, ever use, is Will Smith said, "It's like you know, racism hasn't gotten worse; it's just being filmed." Yeah, yeah. There's more evidence to prove that you know this is what's happening, and like. It's like, this is like the Rodney King beating, but like, you know, what, 20, 30 years later? It's like, it happens all the time. It's not like it's a new thing. It's just that not as cameras to prove it. Yeah. And and people are being held accountable for it now. And, but it, ultimately, yeah, Minnesota has this this mentality and that mentality leads to bad behavior because people have this, um, this um, like, self-righteousness saying that, oh, the South is so much worse than the North. The South is so much worse. But really, the Midwest is much worse than the South economically. Absolutely. Speaking. Absolutely. Um, and socially speaking, yeah, the Southerners will tell you, hey, they hate you, and they call you the N-word. But, like, it's over. At least I know who hates me, who doesn't hate me. I, I, it's done. I mean, so you have to kind of guess like, who hates you. And that makes you a lot, a lot less comfortable because you don't know who it is. Like, True. when racism is nice when it's out there, because at least you know where, to, where, where not to go, where to go, and you can, like, kind of function better. But when you don't know who is racist and, and who is doing what and who is saying what and who believes what, it's so much harder to function to me. I feel less safe. Ride my bike in Minnesota, and I feel in the South, because in the South, they would just call me the N word, open the window, and roll the window down, and say, 
they hate me, I'm, I'm an N-word, you know, and that's it, it's done. And so they'll never say it, but, you know, you don't know what's going to happen to you. So I, I prefer the open racism. At least I feel comfortable. I know who it is. Like, I hate the new the version of that where it's like you don't know who hates you, who's racist towards you, who doesn't want you there. And they'll behave in such stupid ways that are like, like that's not necessary at all. But that's, I mean, that's just how I feel about it. I said this in 2016 on a, on a, on a, a question on Quora. And, and, and some person commented on the question um, just recently. It was like, wow. Your 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 quote about Minnesota aged like fine wine, and I'm like, well, because it's been true for many years. Just a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah, no, it's 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 true. And you and I have talked about this ad nauseum, where it's like, I've been with you when you have been singled out by racists, you know, um, and I think you always handle it much better than I would in your situation, um, because I think at the end of the day, you know that like, if someone holds this viewpoint on another, you know human being simply because of the color of their skin they must not be that bright you know and i think that's the one thing that you realize is you just kind of like really like, cool all right well thank you for letting me know that you're racist i'm gonna go move on with my life now you know yeah you just had to know i mean my my roommate uh his dad one time called uh, either him or the neighbor called a police officer on the neighbor and i this was in the south and i was just with them because my roommate's dad you know he's a southern guy he's a cool dude and he was like when well, i bet you i bet you moment to get here they'll come to you and I was like, ah, I mean, maybe we'll see. And he was right. The moment that they got there, the first person they looked at was me. They're like, hey, what's the problem? And I'm like, it ain't me. You look at the wrong person. <laughs> look at the guy over there. And, so um, fucked up. Yeah, I know. And even like my like this guy was on today on Facebook commenting on my post was like, wow, you know, why don't you just you know and behave well and be a law abiding citizen and you'll never have an issue to deal with the police. I'm like, that's not even slightly true. That's not even like. <laughs> it's not even, not even really true. My, my my friend, he's like, because he was like, he's so point being that wealthy black people know that if you behave well and you you um you um you know are law biases and you 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 do well in America, my like, that's not necessarily true, because my friends my friend was pulled over because he was driving his mom's Benz one time and it was his mom's car and they had no reason to pull him over but they pulled him over just to check to see who owns the car. Yeah. My older my older brother, um, the one above me, got pulled over while driving to work, and he was literally in the parking lot of work, and they pulled him over uh, he was, as he was parking to go into the office, and because they thought he stole his the Honda he was driving. I'm like, who who, who, who wants a Honda? If I stole the car, it's gonna be a nice car. I'm gonna steal a Honda, but I guess it's the most commonly stolen car. But either way, it's like he got pulled over by a state trooper, which I don't think they're allowed to do that in in parking lots. Um, yeah. While while going to work, my oldest brother was arrested. I'm leaving work one time. Because I thought he had raped a lady. And he was like, I just left work. I'm literally just walking out of work right now. So it's like being a law-abiding citizen only gets you so far in this country. It does. Like, yeah. if and you're a minority, you're going to have one problem. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you and I have also talked at length about how, you know, you've been scapegoated for other things and other problems. And I think that that's, that's, the, that's the biggest thing. It's like, you know... No, no one scares me any more more in this country than like a self-righteous white Christian. Like that is the scariest person to me in America right now, because they not only believe that they are right unequivocally and they they back their views up by their community and religion, their you know lengthy Facebook posts, but also it's like their 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 quote unquote logic holds no real logic, right? It's just this like babbling hate field hate filled nonsense. And the ironic thing, it's like they always claim to be these very religious people. But like, you know, uh, Jesus, if you follow scripture, was a dark skinned Jew, you know, like he he mm -hmm. he was not white, 
you know? And I think the Karens of the world, I saw this, I, I wish I said this to you. Someone posted a, a, like a, a photo yesterday. It was like an infographic and it was saying how calling a white woman a Karen is just as bad as calling a black person the N-word because it's racist and sexist. And it was the funniest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. Because like this is the point it's come to where people are like, oh, well, if I can't, if you know, if the, the N word's bad, then Karen's also bad. It's like no, it's like you don't get the point. It's like we're not we're not calling you a Karen because it it, it represents like years of systemic hate and violence against a certain group, which the N word does. Karen is just a label for people that are just intolerant and crazy and just believe that they should have a higher place in society because of their own beliefs. That's a Karen, right? It's like the people that don't wear masks at grocery stores that are throwing their groceries. I don't know if you saw that video on Twitter, but there's a woman who was at, I think, Walmart. She's in the checkout line. She took, she came in the store with a mask, took it off, and the person at the checkout line refused to ring her up um, without unless she put on the mask. And so she started just unloading her cart and throwing the groceries in her cart all over the place. And I was like, who, who the fuck do these people think they are? Like, who does this? Like, children don't do that, you know? It's sad, honestly. Yeah, dude. It's like, like I said, dude, um, being called a Karen, it's like, yeah, it's gained. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. You earned it. You earned it, right? You can, you can un-Karen yourself. But... Yeah, easily. You don't, you just, you don't, you don't, you don't, I don't see every woman that's white and say she's a Karen. I've yeah. never thought that before. Yeah. But you earned it from doing something that, that is deserving of being called a Karen. I have never, I don't think in my life I've done anything deserving of being called the N-word. Yeah. But I remember one time I was in Montana visiting some um, some, some, some Sigma Chi people. And I took a nap, but I wasn't, I wasn't asleep yet. And I heard the, the, the guy from Minnesota who was going to school in Montana was calling me the N-word because I was sleeping and he thought I couldn't hear him. So it's like, you don't have to earn it, you know. You don't have to. They just call you that whenever they think that they're not going to hear you. Either they're bold enough and have enough support that they feel like they can say it to you, or um, they're just being mad at you and they call you, call you that. I don't know. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is like, you and I both talked about this, but like, where does it come from? You know, it's like at some point in time, it, it mostly comes from this idea that, you know, back when slaves first came to this country as early as the 1600s in Jamestown and really the 1700s, um, you know, like we viewed them as a lesser, a lesser species, right? As like, even yeah. though they're not, we're, we're all human beings. We're all homo sapiens, right? So just like, we view them as separate. I'm saying we as like a white Anglo-Christian European descent male, right? Um, and, you know, it's really just basically continued. And I think that, you know, even our own, one of the president, like the head of Sid Mackay, uh, last last term, Tommy Gettings, you know, you and I were sitting next to each other at, at, at a speech where he literally said he referred to the Civil War as the war of northern aggression. And it's like, mm. it's that even that that was what, 2018 that happened? 2018. He said that I wasn't there. So I, I don't I don't I didn't hear. But that's great to hear that. Uh, that's how I mean, you know, the views are still there. It's just now it's a little bit less legal to 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 have slaves. But it's still legal. Slavery did not become illegal in America. It was just that they just added extra step to the process. Yeah. And I think that slavery still exists in, in different ways, right? Um, it may not be like 
a person owns another human being, legally speaking, but, you know, with the way some workforces work and immigration, illegal immigrants, they're definitely essentially the same thing. Like, there are many people well, that... Well, not even that. If you look at the, the, the 13th Amendment, it, it says that slavery is illegal unless, you know, you are convicted of a crime. But here's the thing. If you look at the, the crime rate in America, after, as soon as that, that whole thing, you know, was, was, was passed, it skyrocketed. Now, the question is that were people just magically doing more crime or was, was it like, hey, here's a bone for you. If you want to have slaves, here's how you do it. it. It almost feels like this is the only way to get this law to be passed was to add a little bone for people to still get away, to get away with having slaves. And, um, and, and then I thought about this a lot recently, too, because I was like, it went from because, you know, whenever you have this, um, um, this prisons that are owned by corporations, yeah. That is just seems to me to be like another form of slavery because it's like having these corporations that are profiting off of the the, the prison, imprisonment of, of human beings that are basically re-enslaving them. It's what they should the process. And then they have quotas that they have to meet, that they, the state has to guarantee that they're going to keep them full. Like, this to me just makes, it, it doesn't add up. How can How is this possible? And and people are like, well, Russia is bad. I'm like, but Russia has complete, uh, no, completely gotten rid of slavery in Russia. It was, it was before America even got around to thinking about getting rid of slavery. Russia got rid of slavery. So how is a country that's supposedly more free than Russia um, uh, only halfway getting rid of slavery later than Russia did? It's like the, the marketing of America's freedom is, is, is marketing messaging, but the reality of the situation is not always the same as the marketing message, apparently. Yeah, and I think you and I both agree with the, the mentality that if someone can tell you what to wear or what to say or when to show up somewhere, you're not a free human being. And, yeah. And, and so I think by that definition, most of America is not free, right? Um, and, you know, it's like freedom of choice, freedom of information, freedom of speech. Those are all very important, you know, cornerstones of which this democracy is built. But the problem is, is like the democracy was built for the white man, right? So we need to work on changing that now. Yeah. And my, my friend was making the argument that voting is a way. And I'm like, you have to remember that the most of America is not my are not minorities. Obviously, by the word, it doesn't make sense. Most Americans, I think it's like sixty some percent, seventy some percent are are, are are white people. And so, black people problems are only gonna be important if it's a, a white person's problem as well. And so, yeah. voting is not gonna solve the, the issue that minorities are talking about. It might help if enough people that are not black see it as a problem too. But very often, those issues are not the most important thing on their mind. And my friend asked me, so is it wrong that black people vote because vote certain ways because they're black? I'm like, it's wrong because I, I shouldn't have to vote because I'm, I'm, because I'm black. But it's not an option for me. I don't have the freedom in America to vote based on other things I care about. I am yeah. more or less stuck to voting based on my, my ethnic, my, my skin color because I, my skin color has so much weight in this country that it shouldn't have. Yeah. It's, it's a freedom thing. People, are, people are, are, don't understand how much freedom they have by the fact they don't have the minority. I don't get the freedom to not think about my race. I, I, I've never gone a day in my life in America, I'm pretty sure, without at least at some point. Either consciously or something you think about my, my race and my ethnicity. Not race, because we're all the same race, but my ethnicity, my skin color. Yeah, and I, and I thank you for saying that. I keep correcting people by saying, like, the, the African race or the black race. It's like, no, no. It's like, we're all the same race, right? Like, stop, stop saying yeah. otherwise. You know, it's like, we just have different levels of pigment in our skin, different ways in which we've evolved living in different places around the world through thousands of years of evolution. You know, it's like, it's, it's natural. You can trace it back. We all come from the same thing, you know? And that's, I think what pisses me off the most is that racism at its core is a non-logical, non-scientific, bigoted argument. 
right? It is. It, it doesn't hold sense in actuality. It doesn't hold sense in science. It doesn't hold sense in any form. And I think that to me is why I think it's so offensive. Beyond the fact that you know you are actually hurting massive troves of people just based on a single viewpoint, right? And so this is what we talked about. It's like I no longer view racism as a difference of opinion. I view it more as a moral belief in humanity, right? Um, I don't think you can. Po- I, I don't think it's possible anymore for you to say like I can be my own beliefs without hurting anyone, and you still be racist. Like if you are racist in America, still like you are, whether you th- like to think about it or not, you are hurting people, right? Yeah, and even if you're even if you're not racist, even if you're on a fence on about racism, you're still hurting people by being on that fence. That's why Martin Luther King said the white moderate is the biggest stopping, um, the biggest limitation to to um, freedom for all ethnic groups in America. Exactly because. Right. They they want to they want to determine the, t- the time and place for when freedom can be achieved. When really it's the the cake. Well, we we see how you feel. We see the struggle you're going through. But like, maybe try another method. You know, maybe that method's not the way. Oh, maybe not not another time. Maybe next time we can worry about this issue. And so they always put your issues on the back burner. Um, and it's like. It's it's very disheartening. Even like the Supreme Court, the fact that like they don't want to hear the issue with black people's hair being discriminated against or just or discriminated against. It's just it's all just all disheartening because it's like your hair, my hair is not necessarily like a choice of who I am. You know, I don't get to choose my my hair the way it grows out. So why is it that I can get fired for the fact my hair grows out to be curly and other people's hair grows out to be straight? Um, those are the things. Ethnic hair is, is not necessarily legal in America. Some states are actually doing a, a good job of like making a state level law, but the yeah. fact that federally is not you know a, a thing is is crazy to me. And and so it's it's weird. I mean, if we look at the history of it, like like the federal government in, in like I think the 1980s had a, there's a project in New York. The project's goal was to build houses, cheap um, suburban homes for for people to live in, and if they needed a loan from the federal government to build these homes. And the federal government said that they can give it the loan, but the only rule is that black people cannot get those homes. And so, like, those are the kind of things that the federal government were, were complicit and implicit in doing to stopping the, 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 the wealth growth and the, the um, economical freedom of minorities in America. And that was just, that was not that long ago. That was the pretty, No, that was, was, that, was that Reagan? Um, I don't remember which president it was. I'll say the article afterwards so you can, like, look at it. But it's, I don't remember which president it was, but it was, like, oh, the, um, housing. So people can read it. Too. Yeah. It was like the housing, um, the housing uh, department, the one that does like, um, like low-income housing. And because like people have the idea that low-income housing was built for minorities, but it wasn't. At first, it was built for for white male um, or like white um, um, workers that are in the cities. But as the started moving to suburbs and getting all these low low homes and ten thousand dollar houses, you know, then then the no they get people to fill in the the houses that they built for them. And so then they said, hey, well, since we're screwed, let's give the black phone they can get it now. So there's a lot. The narrative of America is very skewed that and very misrepresented of the reality of what the situation is. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something that I I have been thinking a lot about what the best way to solve is, and it's like not only has to be attacked head on and change the way that we hire and we provide opportunity, but also we have to start at the base and also start eroding this systemic culture we have around race. Right. And so it's like you kind of have to tack it from below and above and in front and behind, you know, on all sides. And so I think it's like, you know, yeah, it's, you have to be not only anti-racist, but also willing to lend time and compassion and resources to helping 
create more equality, right? It's like it's all the yeah. right. I think so, and I think it'd be important to create like a um, like my like my friends will ask why what was action step? What what should, what would we do? And I, I always say like the first thing is like like the for justice system. I think that needs to be a review board, a review board of all the comprised of all the ethnic groups. Not a, it doesn't have to be a large one either. Um, but have psychologists and, and um, criminologists and all those people that are that are not psychologists that are trained in crime, but psychologists that are trained in human psychology and human behavior, yeah. as well as economists, people as well, and have them review the, the laws that are in place to make sure that they don't have implicit or explicit biases in their in the way they're, they're in and the way they can be executed, um, as well as reviewing the, the people that are currently in the system if they have any history of, of obvious bias. Because um, it's likely that some a lot of people that are in the system, or justice system, are kind of already have it there, and they're just now getting called out. Um, like the guy that that, that shot the, the the guy in um, Atlanta at the drive-through, he had done it before. This is not the first time he did this before. This is the same time he did, it. and this is the first time he got caught doing it, and he got like public attention from it. The second thing is economically. I think, like I said, what I'm working on, I think is important. Black people need to become more entrepreneurial because I don't see a path. I could be wrong and I would love to be wrong, but I don't see a path for African-Americans in the current system of work, the workforce in America. I mean, look at how many black CEOs do you see in the world of this top 500 companies? How many black um, board members do you see? How many black, it's just it's not many in, at all, or even a little bit. So I think black people need to start creating their own paths because at this point, I don't see the acceptance that they need to have to happen, be you know happening anytime soon for the the African Americans in America. And those are my two biggest things I think. And of course education too. Yeah. But those are the three I think are the most important like action steps, you know, because you know like the the education is that the problem with education is that the no child left down policy, which sounds good in theory, basically was written in a way that allowed the, the low income schools to lose funding for being um, for not performing as well as the high income schools. Yeah. And it's like that is so. It's it's basically a way to discriminate to discriminate against low income people and and, and minorities as I, too because it's like they are usually have less like as you know with the Boston you know statement where yeah. you know eight dollars is a net worth of family. They usually are going to end up being in those environments and so then the, the suburban schools get the best education, the best resources from the federal government. And it's like does that sound right to you? No, but that's how it's, it was set up to be. So it's like no the advantages in America are just so overwhelming that. If if you're not you know if you're not experiencing it to you it sounds like where's the problem because to you you see, you see a clear path work hard and you get somewhere but yep. to minorities it's not a clear path you got my line mines here you got holes here you got mountains to climb here it's like my god like it's just it's not there you know and we need to do everything we can to fix that right yeah and have fun while doing it of course you can't stop having fun absolutely I think that's probably the most important thing. Um, yeah, enjoy your life. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> if you take away one thing in this podcast, live your life, right? Don't, don't, yeah. uh, don't, don't waste time. Don't, you know, do things, but also understand that sometimes, uh, you know, you might not enjoy things to reach true personal growth. I think, I think one thing about you, which always amazed me is like, for example, like a seven day fast to most people is, is a very intense challenge, right? To you, it almost seemed trivial. You were just like, Okay, I can do it because you have unlimited levels of self-control where you can be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go ahead and do that, right? And it's, although it's like, it may not be comfortable, it's like, you know, when you first started gaining muscle, it's like, it's not, you're not going to like love every single second of it. You love it after a while of doing it and you love the, the grind and also the, the body shape you're doing. But when you're starting something and it's supposed to, you know, bring on positive change, 
you're rarely going to enjoy it. So I think, you know, the one thing I say is it's like, be happy, live your life, but also understand that like growth is usually at, especially at first is usually not enjoyable. Um, and I think it's important to push through that and get to the other side. Right. Yeah. I don't think about it too much. too. The reason why I get through it fast, I don't think about it way too much. You just kind of have to like say, okay, I'm going to do it. And then just stop thinking about it. Cause if you think about it, don't make yourself constantly like, am I, should I be doing this? Is this a good idea? No, For like sure. I don't think yeah. about it. The moment I start doing it, I just do it. I just don't think about it anymore. Like going to the gym at five, five four in the morning, because that's my schedule. I was going to the gym at four in the morning every leave, waking up at four forty. I'm going to be in the gym by five o'clock. The reason I can do that is because I didn't think about it. I don't. I actually have very low self and will and willpower, but I know that if I if I don't think about something, I can do it a lot better if I think about it. Huh. So get up in the morning and go to the gym. I didn't think about it. I just got up and did it. I just did it. I didn't think about it. I was going to do it. I was going to be done. So if you think about it, you're going to make your life a lot harder when it comes to these kind of really challenging activities. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah, I also write a book about it. I also write a book about how to get a monkey to do more work than he actually wants to do. And the whole, the book, the whole book um, hinges on the theory that if, he, if he's not thinking about how much work he's doing, he'll get a whole lot more done than if he actually, actually ponders how much work he's actually doing. Like washing dishes is very hard if you're thinking about how much dishes you're about to wash. But washing one plate is very easy. And doing that one plate a thousand times is going to be very easy. Then think about it, a thousand plates you got to wash. You do one at a time. For sure. And I, I definitely encountered this. Like even my workout this morning, there was like we were doing like rotational sets and some of the stuff sucked. And I was like, I don't really want to do this. Then I kept thinking about it like, oh, I have three more sets of 15 reps each. And I eventually just realized I was like, I'm just going to focus on doing each rep at a time. And it just at the time not only flew by, but also like it was easy, you know, Um Cause I think it's, I think you're right. It's easier to think about one thing than go to the next thing. It's like when traveling, it's like, that's why I don't mind being on a plane for so long. Cause I don't view it as like, Oh, this plane is 16 hours long. It's like, Oh, I'm just here until it lands. You know, I think that's where you and I differ about flying, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you love your long luxury flights. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm paying for a spirit airlines. I, I need to be as short as possible. <laughs> Well, I think I, I think for your sake, Spirit doesn't fly to Australia. So, you know. Um, West. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so you, Sun Country will do it, but who knows? <laughs> um, I'll be so happy to that. Yeah, I mean, you're, I hope you join me in New Zealand in January. Um, hope we can work that out. But um, otherwise, I'm going to get you out of here in a few quick questions. So these questions can be answered uh, in as few or many words as you wish. Um if you could put up a billboard in a single area of this country, what would you have it say and where would it be? Wow. Oh my God. That's a really hard question. You're welcome. Oh God. <laughs> Um, we can we can skip it and go back to it after if you want to think about it. I I would say something along the lines of um, all problems stem from um, from in, from how oh man all problems stem from from internal problems or something like that. Like, like self love is the only way, and and I'll put that. In in Times Square, <laughs> yeah, Times Square. So like a place that has the most amount of eyeballs on it. 
Yeah, so they can know self um, self love is the only way, or either that, or you can't. Um, um, happiness isn't that great. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, I think it's Naval that says like happiness uh, or happiness is peace in motion, right? Um, and I think a lot of people have different connotations what they believe happiness is, but I think for the most part, happiness is overrated. It's like being content. It's so overrated. It's like being content and peaceful. Like I'd rather be peaceful than happy, right? Um, and I think I agree with him when he says like happiness is peace in motion. It's true. It's like, um, you know, it's it's great to be happy, but I'd rather be content and, you know, but also happiness is occasionally fun and enjoyable. So I uh, can't complain about it. I mean, I like sadness. I like happiness. I like them both equally. I have no preference on which emotion I'm experiencing. Well, I've never trusted I'll anyone who only likes happiness. Like turmoil. For yeah. sure. But it's like many people I know that like they just they despise sadness but love happiness. It's like, well, you can't have happiness without sadness, right? You can't have hot without cold. Yeah. You know, you can't have and wealth without poverty. Hot. You know, for sure. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, next question right. is um, Is there something you believe that others don't? Jeez. Um. I believe that every human problem can be solved with by I think every human problem I oof man, this is hard. Sorry, there's sirens going on outside. I can't take me right now. I can't okay. I think every human problem can be solved by first examining the psychology of the human and like Ultimately, I believe that if everyone honestly loved themselves, like genuinely love themselves, most or all of the issues that we experience as humans on Earth will be probably solved. Most of the social issues anyway. And the pollution issue too, because when you are genuinely loving and caring for yourself, you are loving and caring of the planet and everyone around you. So why would you pollute it? So I, I think ultimately all the issues that are man-made issues can be solved by um, self-love and, and, and self-acceptance. I agree with you on that. I think that's uh, I think that's fair. Not mad many issues, though. those are not of our hands. But yeah, pollution and like and like um, like heart like issues that are like over being overweight, while not us all, you know. Once we love ourselves, it's very hard to to do things ourselves that are not loving, and to things around us and people around us. Yeah, I think racism stems from self confidence issues. But anyway, yeah, that's another conversation topic. Yeah. Whole other problem. We can go into it if you want to, but um, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, and and I guess last question: um, Where do you find peace and happiness in your current life? Where do I have any peace and happiness? Oh, um, I guess I, I very much enjoy hammocking with. Uh, the most peace and happiness I guess I have is when I'm hammocking with Sarah just like because we're staying at our family's cabin right now so and we've been up here for almost three four months together and it's like I think half a relationship not half like one third of our relationship has been spent in every day together um, for since Corona started which is like such a weird way to have a relationship where like we did it for like six months and then we're quarantined together for 
last four four months, but 100 days together so far, 107 days together so far. But yeah, like we're, we enjoy each other's company and we've been spending, you know, we try to spend as much time as we can and the weekends and then she has no work to do on in the hammock in the back of the house and just, just by the lake and just having fun and just, hang, and just chatting out and having fun together. That sounds fantastic. It's, it's extremely lovely. Do you want to, I'm going to create a new segment. That wasn't the last question. I have one more question for you. You ready for this? Okay. Yeah. I call this, what's trending on Twitter? And I'm going to tell you the first three things trending on Twitter, and I want your opinion on all of them. Okay? Okay. Um, Kobe Bryant is named the final NBA 2K cover athlete with a special Mamba Forever edition. You and I were actually together when, when we found out he died. Yeah, we were. Um, yeah. So he's... So does this mean that there's no more 2K games coming out? No, there are. They're just saying it's like, so what they did, sorry, this context, they, um, they're doing three covers of NBA 2K this year. It's like three different uh-huh. versions you can get. And one of them is, uh, uh, Damien Lillard, uh, I forget who number two is, but the third one is going to be like a, a special edition of the game. That's like, has Kobe in the front and it's like going to have a special case and stuff like that. Um, um i think that's cool um like personally if it was me and i got to decide if i was like the head of the state or whatever i'll say sure you, you're free to use my husband in his honor he, he used his image um but i would like that you know the proceeds go to a charity that he cared about something like that because for sure and not you know, a greedy that, video yes. developer yeah yes exactly if he, you know he died he's dead yeah. He's, he's paid his whole life making money for everyone else. If you want to use his face for something that doesn't make money, at the very least, use it to respect him and, and put it for a cause that he cared about. Good. I love that. Um, number two thing trending is there's a woman yesterday uh, who went to Harvard. I don't know why this is an important piece, but she went to Harvard apparently, and she ran on a rant on Twitter saying that she would like stab anyone violently that says that all lives matter, right? And then this morning, she was fired from her job and blames Trump supporters for being fired. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, stabbing everyone violently is not necessarily the way to go about changing things. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all have such a, a strong emotion reaction to, to what's happening right now. And um, the way we express it is sometimes not necessarily ideal. So I don't know. I actually, I don't know. I have, I honestly don't know. I don't have a feeling or opinion about what she, what she did and what happened to her. I think, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's like, I, as much as I disagree with the all lives matter mentality, it's like, it doesn't mean you should go and support violence against other people for their views. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, let's, let's educate people. Like don't try to kill them or hurt them. You know, I think that's the problem in the first place. Like if we, I think the problem is because the problem with the left and the right right now is that everyone's threatening each other with violence and propaganda and other bullshit. When, if we just spent time to educate each other and have meaningful discussions, I think we'd, we think we'd be a lot more, better off as a country as a nation as a education i think people are not lacking education. i think there's two things that could actually change someone that is a the only thing that i think that improves situation is one or two things 
One is, is exposure. I think they need to be exposed to more, if they're racist, they need to be exposed to more uh, African-Americans and, and to see that, that their, their views don't have, and are based in reality. And two, um, they need to, I, I feel like the rejection of, of people's beliefs and views is are partially to blame for why they're so, they're so um, the way they are. Like, I think Trump won president because people were so like, against him. And, and, and anyone that supported him was like, you're the worst person on the planet, you should die. Yeah. And if, if, if they're almost ignored, because for, for fact, I think that like, he's, he's so dumb, he's hilarious to me. And, and if you can just, if you can just like, not even fight it, just laugh at what he's doing, then he would have lost, he would have not won presidency because people would, would have not cared so much about what he was saying and doing because he wasn't in prison at the time. Let him have his, you know, his day and, and talk and let him, like, let him go away. But because, I mean, I, and, I, mean I'm, I'm, I just tend to because he, he hits us in such like really weird and messed up ways. We gave him power by, by giving us our attention, giving him our, our attention. Totally. So I think it's important that, that you like the guy that went to the there's a guy that went to a bunch of KK meetings. I was able to get a lot of them to leave and to not be a KK anymore. A black guy, and uh, he did it because he able to he gave him the, the outlet to to express their racism. Yeah. And by letting him express it, they actually let go of a lot of them because they were like, okay, well now it's out. I don't feel as bad. I don't feel so attached to him anymore. But when you when you when you, when, you, when you attack someone on something, they they yeah. defend themselves on that topic. They feel more attached to the topic because now they have their personal identity tied to the topic too. So yeah, that's, and that's a powerful hard. story that when you referencing, I forget the man's name, but uh, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But it's this amazing, um, yeah, he just like a black community member that decided to show up at KKK meetings and, and and really helped a lot of that movement, right? Yeah. Um, but what I was saying, I, I think when I say educate people, I don't mean like they need more education. I'm just saying it's like instead of yelling at them, take the time to help them understand through exposure through you know conversation that their viewpoint might be hurting other people you know i yeah. think that's what i mean when i say educate people uh i don't I, know I, if they're gonna change because the viewpoint hurts other people because i don't think they care about that that's not what they care about they care about um um being heard they care about their life they care about how they're they're being um their life is being changed by 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 their minorities that they don't like sure. and it's just so they don't i don't think they're, they're really thinking about how it hurts other people because they, they think like they deserve it. Yes. And also the guy's name is Daryl yes. Davis. The the one the one thing I always quote is the first man in this podcast, um, Francesca Cordois, and one of my longtime mentors, he says, you know, the problem with America is everyone wants a house and a boat. Right? Everyone thinks they're entitled to get these things by just by be existing and being an American, right? Um yeah. especially in like low income white America. And so the problem is that you know, Trump was mainly elected on, on on the immigration reform, especially with the relating to Mexico, because, you know, it, like he hasn't talked about building all of Mexico in like a year. You know, it's like yeah. it, 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 it was like the main thing of his campaign and he hasn't even talked about it. You know, like people forgot about it. Right. And so well, he I find, to China for sure. But I think that's the same thing. It's like he's basically picking up an artificial scapegoat to explain to people that why they're not getting jobs. It's like, no, you're not getting jobs because someone else came in here. You're getting jobs because you're not qualified. You're not willing to educate yourself. You're just not actually going to work for it. Then someone else is going to come and take it. Right. And that that's, that's, you know, that's not, that's not America's fault. That's your fault, you know? Um, and I think that's where most of the, the, the problem lies. And I'll get you out of here on the third one, um, which is uh, students at the university of Alabama hosted a, 
are, are holding COVID-19 parties where there is a prize pool, a uh, cash prize pool for the first person from the party to get COVID-19. Oh, <laughs> oh man. You know, society is amazing. And there is the NFL to be impressive in, in our stupidity. I mean, you know, isn't there like a the survival of the fittest? Isn't this like the test that, that kind of goes with it? Natural selection. Like, yep. Natural selection, that's it. Yeah. Natural selection does its thing. You know, humans, the planet will always, will always find a way to, to put us in our place. And this seems like the way that it, that it did it. Because, you know, I'm reading a book called Sapien. It talks about like how humans yeah. rise to the top of the food chain was so fast that the planet didn't have a way to deal with it. Because yeah. every animal has its checks and balances. Humans For don't sure. have a very good one right now. And so it seems no. like this is like a good way to get humans in check, apparently, is to... to <laughs> To, to let the natural selection do its thing. And it's not saying that COVID is a good thing. It's saying that it's what it happens. And, and it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. It's crazy that that's what they're doing now. Because um, they think that they're going to be fine. But I, I don't think they understand that they will lose their lung, fun, lung functionality. Even if they get it and they don't go to the hospital, they'll still lose some of their breathing abilities. So I don't know, dude. College is a weird time. I guess we all do dumb things in college. But that seems extremely dumb. I mean, I just think, um, uh, yeah, man. I mean, it's like the whole the whole mask COVID debate is pretty simple. I think it's like if you're in a public setting, you should do your best you can do to potentially stop the spread of this disease uh, or virus, I should say. Um, it just like I don't care what perspective you take it from, from like a, a human life perspective, from an economic perspective, from a whatever. You know, it's like just just be mindful of others, right? It's like basically COVID-19 just exposed America's inability to be considerate towards other humans. Like that's, oh, we, we, all, we, we all knew that, but like this is now it on display. It's like, you know, sorry, your your freedoms are being trampled because you have to wear a mask. Like, uh, have you thought about the other people that, you know, have like millions of people have lost their jobs? You know, it's like we're at a record high unemployment. And the amazing thing about those numbers is that, you know, you know, I've talked about this, they don't even include people that have been furloughed. They don't include people that have been moved to part-time. They don't include people that have been moved to like barely any schedules. Like those are people aren't on that list, you know? And so, yeah. and that, and that sucks, right? It's like that there's, there's, a, I think the actual estimate of like people who are not making full salaries or are unemployed right now is like 46 million people, like 46 million people, you know, Jesus. that's wild. And also the current national debt right now, is $217,000 per tax taxpayer. Sheesh. That's the national debt. Like if we wanted if we wanted to say like okay, we're going to we're going to own up and we're going to pay off our own national debt and we're going to work it out, then that would mean that each taxpayer assuming we spent no more money, right? <laughs> Which is not going to happen. Uh is going to pay $270,000, which is crazy. Right. And so I always find this funny thing where it's like, I know you and I don't like paying taxes. Right. But I still believe that there should be a minimal amount that people should be paid. Here's what? the thing. I don't hate taxes. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm happy to pay taxes. I, I, I don't actually even yeah, I have no problem paying taxes. Honestly, I don't. Um, if there's a system that allows for fair taxes, then I think that's fine. Um, and I think in some new proposed tax, I don't agree with not necessarily that because they're they shouldn't tax people i think they should tax people fairly but some version of tax that they're trying to do i don't think is fair at all i think it's based on on popularism rather than like actual like well thought out economics yeah but 
I'm, but again, I'm not opposed to taxes, and, I, and I'm totally um, supportive of, yeah, I'm supportive of taxes. Well, I think that the, the I problem lies is like there are a lot of people that are opposed to taxes but still want to utilize the the social systems that come from taxes. You know, it's like, oh, you want you want good schools and well-paved roads, but you don't want to pay taxes. It's like, okay, pick one. You know, um, yeah. the problem is is like a lot of our taxes are not used for meaningful things. You know, um, I think our military budget is absurdly large, right? And this is coming from someone that yeah. has like, like someone that was in the defense industry. Like it does need to be this big. I think it needs to be bigger. Many other places, it's like we if the, if if our national debt was that high and we had anyone that needed it could get healthcare, we had amazing education systems, we had all this amazing stuff, I'd be like, cool. Like, I mean, at least it's going to something worthwhile and we're doing things. But no, it's like we, we have all these problems and we still have this amount of debt. It's kind of like, okay, uh, how do we solve this, right? And the thing, yeah, yeah. And, and the sad thing is like the only way to really close that gap is a mixture of, of inflation, like artificial inflation and taxation, right? But the problem is that it happens every time. It's like a Republican president, Trump is especially bad at this, comes in traditionally the past in a couple of decades and blows out the national deficit. Like like Trump is a, like Bush was bad, but Trump is is like five times worse. And now, assuming you know a different person is in the White House in the fall, uh, one could assume that the, they're probably going to raise inflation a little bit, try to kill that number a little bit increase taxes for certain people more to kind of cover that deficit. And, um, you know, it's, it sucks because it's, it's something where, you know, we have all this debt yet we're still not really able to, uh, solve the, the basic fundamental problems of society. You know, it's like, we still live in a terrible police state. We still have, you know, not the best infrastructure. Like America's infrastructure is failing. Right. It's like it's 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 destroyed right now, you know, and I, I think that there's a great article I read recently that basically says, like, you know, around 2025 to 2030, like they're going to be bridges that should have been they should have been starting to rebuild replacements like three years ago today. And they're not doing it. And because you can't build a bridge overnight, there are going to be some places where like there may be some major highway roads that just have to shut down until they build a bridge to replace it, which is not like that. That that in itself is way more expensive in terms of lost economic commerce and job growth. Like, could you imagine? I remember this happened in Arizona. I don't remember this or not, but on I-40, which is the most busiest highways for trucking in the country, right? It goes from L.A. to North Carolina. There was a very small bridge, like 20 feet long over a river that wasn't updated when it was supposed to be updated. And it, all it would take was probably a couple, like like a month of nighttime work to fix it and make it good. It was washed out by river. So this shut down the entirety of I-40 and added this like 20 mile work around in the middle of the Arizona desert just to get traffic and cars through. Like that was, it was adding on hours onto people's commutes and trucking Jeez. time. And it's like, it's amazing. It's like, okay, a couple million dollars and one bridge fix with a nice nighttime work like could have saved probably hundreds of millions of dollars in lost economic prosperity and you know, productivity. And it kind of shows wow, it's like, we're yeah, we're, we're heading towards this impending cliff where it's like Trump administration hasn't done shit about federal infrastructure and we are not any better. We're way worse off than we are. And it's, it's not like, you know, we can't just stop everything and be like, okay, we're going to go and rebuild things. It's like, no, like, like these are things that are used every single day, you know? And so the argument should have been like, instead of giving everyone $200 checks, it should have been like creating systems that allow people to actually get sustenance they need to survive, 
and then put the rest of that money into improving infrastructure because no one's driving right now, right? Why don't you create a national program to help hire people to help fix our infrastructure? So that's where you go. So not only are you not only are you paying money to help fix things, but you're also hiring people. And I'm not saying it's like, you know, people think, like, oh, that's kind of ableist because like only people that are, you know, manual laborers. It's like, no, it's like for infrastructure, like you still need people that are going to build it, but you still need people to help them run it and research it and make sure it happens and do community outreach. And so like, there's, there's plenty of jobs for everyone in that kind of system, right? And same thing with yeah. like COVID, COVID tracing. Like people are saying like, why don't we reactivate the Peace Corps? and hire people to do COVID contact tracing and testing. And it's like, great, you could hire 50,000 people easily, right, right off the bat, and probably double that, you know? And you know, like all these little things would help, and like these little things would stop it. But at the end of the day, like, I still have a problem with people that understand the fact, sim- there's a very simple fact that more people will die from unemployment related to COVID-19 than people will die from COVID-19. I'm not saying we shouldn't wear masks. I'm not saying we shouldn't. Probably. I'm not saying we, we're not we're not gonna we should know we should reopen everything right away. I'm just saying like we should have been smarter about this at first. We should have shut things down March 1st for a month and a half and just been like, cool, we're done. And then mid-April, we'll be back to normal. Right? Like Hong Kong, a city of 7.5 million people, has had six deaths, right? And they only shut down oh, for a wow. few weeks. And because they have a 97% adherence to masks, that's what they use. And you know what the three percent that don't use masks are? American and European expats. Nice. And so it shows you that it's like there's a cultural problem there. And so basically they said if you were to scale up appropriately the Hong Kong numbers to America, not just like a one-to-one because it's not accurate, but also it is because America is much more spaced out than Hong Kong is, right? So let's just say we scale up, even though in Hong Kong it's going to be a higher percentage than it would be in all over America, like higher in New York but lower like where you are right now, right? We would have about 300 deaths. Wow. Right. That would be nice. That'd yeah. Nice. What are we at now? Nice. Like 125, right? 130. It's going there. Hope we get there. It's, and, and actually, read a study about this. Um, it's called. It's by one of my the books I read. Um, I can't remember which book it was. A psychology book. And they did a test to say to see um, people's shopping habits, like buying um, food habits. Actually, think about no. I don't know. Actually, I won't tell you what my book is. I don't know. I have to look up book it is. But anyway, so the lesson I learned was that. Countries like Japan, they did a test in America to go ordering food at the grocery store. And they said that Americans are more likely to order something that, even though, okay, so like you say, you go and you say, I want the, the pasta. In my head, I want the pasta too, but I want to be special and unique. So I order something else. And so it said the first person to order the food always gets there. They're always the happiest compared to the rest yep. of the America. And now, go to Japan, if someone orders a pasta, the people on the table are more likely to order pasta too because they want to show the, the conformity and the uniformity and the, you know, this is what this together happy. kind of mindset. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's a cultural thing, but it's like, this this need to be special, this need to be unique, this need to be, to stand out, it comes and hurts us in, in, this, in this very, very dangerous situations like COVID-19. For sure. And I think you'd like, you know, it's, it's, and that depends on country, right? And I think it's also, there's a great book called The Art of Choosing by, uh, I can't remember her name, um, but they talk about that. They talk about this idea that, you know, like ordering food at a table is a dichotomy of choice. And that, you know, if you don't stick with the first thing that you see in the menu that you want, then you're always almost going to be unhappy, even if something you don't want at the end of the day. Like yeah. you're be happy with that choice than you would be otherwise. And I think that that's like, the problem is, is that 
I, I think America's problem is less about lack of conformity, more about this idea, this like unrealistic artificial idea of freedom. Like being freedom doesn't mean you don't have to wear a mask because it might kill other people or like spread a deadly disease is going to cause you to like, you know, I, I, I think it's funny when people like think that they can not wear a mask and go out in public, but then they're not going to worry about like them losing their job or like their inheritance being wiped out because the market just, you know, is all over the fucking place. Right. So mm -hmm. it's just, I don't know. I think, I think at the end of the day, what I said at first and what someone else said, which I quoted them is that COVID-19 essentially is just unearthed America's inability to be considerate towards other people. That's essentially what it comes down to. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, having been to Asia, like you have a few times, um, you see how considerate the culture is, like Japan especially. Like everyone is always conscious of everyone else and making sure that they're not doing anything to impede or bother or, you know, do anything like that, which is which is how, how it honestly should be. Like, I can't tell you every time I go on a hike around here in Seattle, there's always a couple groups of people, not just kids, like people that are blasting music out of speakers while they're hiking. It's like no one else wants to hear your bullshit. That's so true. It's like no one cares. Like you think you're, and the, and the sad thing is some people probably think they're cool for like doing their own thing, you know? I Some people might be doing it to piss off other people. I bet more people do it because they think it's cool or because they want to, they don't care, you know? And that's and that's the problem, That that's what gets me, right? It's like, if people would just take some time and spend time with each other, and not be dicks, right? <laughs> I think yeah. we'd be better off. So I guess I guess if we can, you know, resolve this two-hour podcast into one word or one sentence or phrase, it's don't be a dick. Yeah, or have some empathy. Yeah, you know, I think I think those are related, honestly, right? They very much are. All right, man. Well, I'm gonna let you get back to your day of uh, answering oh, emails. Yeah, um, dude. Yeah, never ends. Is there anything else you want to add? That's it, dude. I, I, I'm glad we had this chat. Um, I'm going to go enjoy my breakfast now. And we'll your talk breakfast of the kiwi orange? Yes. <laughs> Let me know how that is. I'm actually really curious. I'll, I'll go buy one. If, if I'll uh, send you a picture there at Target. Are they orange in, inside, or are they still kiwi colored? They're um, semi-kiwi colored. They're just a, little, a lot brighter. Interesting. Whoa. All right. Uh, and then if someone wants to find you, where would they be able to find you online? I have no idea. Um, I have no <laughs> idea. I don't even really use Instagram anymore or Twitter like that. So that's fair. I have no idea. I guess they can email me if they want to, or they can have Vecna Moore as a new company that I'm starting. Then they're frankly owned. Then there's Jack Sheets for Men. I mean, there's, I don't know what else they can find me on. Let me rephrase this. If someone is very interested in helping out with the incubator, how can they reach out to you? Um, email me when at Hercleon, H-E-R-C-L-E-O-N.com. That's my name. Yep. And I'll also send it in, uh, in the show notes with attached to this episode so people can get to you. All right, my friend, have a wonderful rest of your day. And you too. I will probably inevitably talk to you later anyways, because that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do every day. All right, man. Have a good day. You too. Dude. Bye. Hey everyone, I hope you very much enjoyed this conversation with Wen. As always, you can find me on social media at Rob Auchincloss or robauchincloss.com. Thank you all for a fantastic podcast episode as always, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. I bid you adieu from 1 a.m. at my desk in rainy Seattle. Good night.